Hey, it's Neville Medora here. And today I'm reading you the July 2nd stupid email, which is a swipe thought uplifting picture, interesting and drawing. Let's get started. So the first thing I have here is a swipe from my swipe file. And it is a picture from a 1970s ad for the Ford Bronco. And it says, let in the great outdoors. There's a great picture of this like awesome, like old school classic red Ford Bronco with two people and a dog in the back. And it's like obviously four roading, four wheeling on like this, like a sand dune. And what I like about it <clears throat> is instead of just showing the picture and being like a brand thing, it actually has some really good sales copy. So it leads strong with a great picture of the Ford Bronco off-roading, but also has a whole section at the bottom. And it says stuff like the most powerful V6 engine, more horsepower and torque than a Chevy S10 Blazer. So it is showing this feature that it has a very powerful V6 engine. In fact, the most powerful, which lets you drive up steeper hills and go faster. And it also includes a great comparison to its direct competition, the Blazer. And it says, we're more powerful. So obviously you'll go with this one, right? It also says uh, perfect size for four wheeling. So this is a cool feature that indicated you can navigate crazy terrain easier because usually people who, who you know buy a Bronco kind of want to do some off-roading. And then it also says stuff like let the sun shine in, which is a good nod uh, with their power flip out removable rear quarter sunroof thing. So overall, I just thought this was a great little ad. A lot of times these car ads will just simply show like a picture of the truck to give it like some coolness. But this one actually does a good job selling, which is awesome. Um, here's an interesting thought. Um, one of the most complicated things that we always talk about in our members community is pricing. And here's the thing. I remember at one point I was like, I will spend $10,000 to figure out someone who could tell me the best pricing for my product. And here's what I figure out, uh, trying to go from everyone and hiring consultants. Um, no one knows what the hell they're talking about 100%. It, it varies per company, per person, the quarter, the day, the freaking retrograde of Mercury. I don't know. Everything affects pricing, basically. And so I've always found out that at least for the SaaS world, like software world, um, one of the best pricing structures is called a three-tier pricing and or tiered pricing, okay? So let's specifically talk about today, there's one-tier pricing, two-tiered pricing, and three-tier. So here's some examples of each and where to use them. So one-tiered pricing. This is where a product has a single price. No options, no discounts, no annual subscription, no, no nothing. It's the most common type of pricing in general e-commerce. Something has a price and you buy it at that price. So for example, there's a uh, Dyson air purifier here and it says it's $400 and uh, that's the price. Yeah, you pay $400, you get the vacuum thing and that's it. That's the whole deal. So that's one tier pricing. Now here is two tiered pricing. And this is where there are two different options for a product of different prices. So for SaaS companies, they often use this structure. And there's many ways to implement this. So some companies will say, well, there's a monthly plan for $30 a month or a yearly plan for $300 a year. So there's different prices based on the longevity. Some places will say you get this free plan that includes only five web pages or this paid plan that includes 100 web pages. So a difference based on quantity. Then there's sometimes the basic or advanced versions or little usage or high usage. So if you use one gig, you get 30 bucks a month. If you use 100 gigs, you get 50 bucks a month, whatever. And then sometimes there's consumer level or enterprise level. And what this frequently looks like, it'll say like on one side, $30 a month, and on the right side, $30, $300 per year. And this is a very, very common and useful 
uh, thing to know. So instead of offering one price for a product, guess what? You can offer just offer two. And the cool thing is that you could do what's known as price anchoring. But first, let's get into three-tier pricing. Uh, so three-tier pricing, it, this is a super common pricing technique, and in my opinion, one of the best. And it's also because you get to do a thing called price anchoring. So what happens is, oftentimes, companies want you to select the middle option, and they will highlight it to show it's the one to pick. So here's an example where the lower end one is $150, the medium one that they kind of want you to pick is $500. And then the high end uh, option is like $2,000. So what they're doing is price anchoring the service to $2,000 saying that this is worth $2,000. Something we're doing is worth $2,000. So if you select the $150 option, you kind of feel like you're getting like a little bit of like a $2,000 service. So I think there's a lot of psychological tricks going on to three-tier pricing. And I think that's why it's one of the most common pricing uh, strategies you see for software companies. So here's one that says basic is 295, the pro is 495, and the team level enterprise access is 995. But what's happening on here is the middle one, the pro, is clearly highlighted differently as to indicate, hey, 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 just, you know, click this one. You know, that's what they're saying. So I love three-tier uh, pricing, and it could also be based on how much service you provide. So I'm looking at a uh, this small website design firm and have this great three-tier pricing where it says a clarity call is 200 bucks. So you get on the phone for an hour with someone and you just kind of go over if you even need a web page. Then they do a restyling of your web page for $3,800. And that seems to be the most common thing because that's in the middle. And then custom, it says, it says 6,800 plus, meaning the minimum is gonna be 6,800 bucks. And then we go up from there. So um, offering three-tiered pricing is designed to capture the lower ends and higher ends of the market. And here's the psychology behind it. See, you have a low price, a medium price, and a high price. Now the low price doesn't scare away the cost conscious people, okay? So if someone's like, well, I'm only gonna spend you know a couple hundred bucks, they could go down to the lowest price and get it. Then the medium price, that's where most people buy, your ideal price, that's where the, the most of the people will buy. And the high price is for those companies that might be willing to spend thousands of dollars more on your product, but you just, you know, you quoted them such a low price, they're just gonna buy it. So that's why you can capture all ends of the market by having a low price, medium price, and high price. This is also how car companies work, by the way. So like BMW will have like a very like entry, or let's say Mercedes is an easier example, will have like an entry level C-class Mercedes that you could buy for, you know, the cost of like a Toyota Camry. <clears throat> Maybe like a higher end Toyota Camry, you could buy the same uh, car, but a Mercedes. Then their medium end is what most people buy. And they have like the S-class, which is their really high end stuff that only a few thousand people buy a year, but it's a very expensive car. Um, here's something a little uplifting. I've always found that when trying to hash out a schedule with someone, a simple 45 second call is way better than 15 back and forth interspersed text messages. So this weekend when you're scheduling something back and forth, if it gets complicated, just pick up the phone. Now, I schedule a lot of things through text message, right? <clears throat> if I text a friend and say, hey, you wanna meet for dinner at seven at this place? They say, yes, okay, cool, we're in the, we're in the, the clear. But here's the thing. Sometimes I'll have something scheduled for like 7 p.m., and I'll suggest, and something else comes up that'd be fun for me and my friend to go to. So instead of saying, hey, would you rather go here first? Because like, I know that they have to travel. And I don't know what they're going to do right before. It's basically just a lot of moving parts. I'll just call and be like, hey, let me float this by you. 
what if we go here first? Would you be able to do that? And they'll be like, no, I can't do it. But if you wait five more minutes, I can go, whatever. So I think it's so much better than a call. And it's kind of funny. Like a lot of people tell me, they're like, Neville, you're like one of the few people that actually just like randomly calls me up. And I'm like, well, it's better, right? And they're like, yeah, it's so much better. <laughs> so try it. Call instead of text sometimes. Um, here's a picture of me holding up this book by Andy Weir, uh, who authored The Martian also. And it's called Project Hail Mary. And this book is one of the best fiction books I have read in a long time. I, I was hooked. So it's a hard science novel. So all the physics in it are real, but the story is fiction. And it mainly happens in space. So all the physics are real, but the story is fiction. And I got totally captivated by the story, but also learned some clever engineering in the process. So learning and being entertained, fantastic. So I gave this book like a solid 10 out of 10. Um, I literally could not put it down. It, it, was, it was like gripping me. Um, and the other thing I liked about it was it's not a dystopian future book where everything is a bummer. They're just like, oh, technology's bad and aliens kill you and da da da. It, it wasn't bad. It, it's far more optimistic and fun and probably how the real future will be rather than just all doom and gloom. So I just really loved it. It was called Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Highly, highly suggest. Um, here is something interesting. So uh, I, of course, bought a house recently and I've been going through all these contractors. And, uh, you know, nothing's been surprising about them, really. But one of the really surprising things uh, that shocked me the most was, uh, made me do a double take, actually, was a wallpaper installer. Um, I was quoted $3,200 for a single room to have wallpaper. Now, to be fair, it is textured wall and natural glass cloth wallpaper going up. So it's, it's a bit more pricey in general. You have to do all these other things to make sure that you support this heavier wallpaper. But as a side business, I thought like this is one of those cool little random niche side business that could be super cool compared to traditional heavy duty contracting. So when I talk about contracting, like I had some guys build a deck in the, like a limestone grill thing and all that stuff. That was heavy work. That was like legit heavy lifting, being in the sun all day, sweating all day. Uh, difficult, difficult work. But with wallpaper installation, there's no heavy lifting. You're always working inside. So you're always air conditioned. You're constantly booked out. It is like impossible to get someone to come and do wallpaper in the next month or so. I mean, they are so busy. So if you get if you do this and get high reviews on something like TaskRabbit or Thumbtack, this could be like a really great business. It's also something that you don't have to be terribly skilled at, right? It's not crazy hard. Um, I remember thinking about this a couple years ago. Three years ago, I hired this young dude off TaskRabbit. I think he, he said he was like 21, 22. And he had super high ratings. And you know what he does? He just hangs pictures. He, he hangs stuff on your wall. He's just like a picture hanger. And so he was $125 an hour, minimum two hours. He's doing multiple gigs a day. And he was one of the top-rated people on TaskRabbit, at least in my city. And he just had this skill that people don't like doing, which is like kind of hanging pictures, especially when you move in. You got a bunch of things to hang. It's kind of annoying. I find it annoying. And I just remember thinking, like, what an interesting trade. Like, there's nothing super difficult about what he was doing. There's no, like, real limiting thing that people can't do it themselves. But it's just something that people didn't like to do. And so I thought, I don't know, wallpaper installation. I thought that's one of those interesting niches in contracting where, um, you know, you don't have to lift a lot of heavy stuff, and it could be pretty profitable. Um, here's an interesting drawing, and this is from the 60s. Um, and what happens is this is like the 60s, the 1967 version of e-commerce. And it's basically a bunch of drawings of uh, products. 
and then small descriptions inside of a magazine ad. So like kind of like in the back of Boys Life magazine or something like I used to get when I was a Cub Scout. Um, in the back, they have all these drawings of products you can buy, and then there's a little order form that you send it in. And so this was a Johnson Smith novelty company that would take comp it would make compact ads like this with their catalog of curiosity-inducing items and run them in magazines and newspapers. So selling direct was much tougher before the internet because you had to really, really hone down your copy and your advertisements and then send it out because it costs a lot of money to send stuff out like this. So it was actually easier back then to draw out products and try to print an accurate picture of the products since each printer had variants in how a picture would come out. So yeah, it's kind of interesting to see like uh, people would draw uh, images in books far more than they would actually take pictures because pictures just didn't show up that well back then. Anyways, um, I also have one more request before I end this uh, thing. And I asked this in the email, the stupid email today. I said, if you don't mind answering this question, if it applies to you, and the question is this, is why have you not joined our copywriting community? Now, I'm not trying to sell you on anything. In fact, in the email, I didn't even include a link to it. But I just really just want to know. I'm just super curious. Like, why are you not a current member of our copywriting community? And um, that could be a, a, a two-sentence response or two words. Maybe you could say, I hate you. I don't know. If, if you hate me, then great. Um, but any feedback is helpful, even if it's harsh. I'd much rather hear the unsugar-coated truth than, you know, some sort of, like, trite lie. So reply to this email if uh, you're reading the email, and let me have it. Uh, let, let me know why you haven't joined our copywriting community. Maybe you didn't know about it. Maybe you don't think I'm very credible. Um, Maybe you bought my book before. Maybe you uh, bought the copywriting course years ago and kind of learned what you need to learn and don't need to learn anything else. And so you don't think there's anything in there for me, for you. Um, whatever the reason is, let me know. Like, I'm, I'm just super curious. Uh, nothing will offend me. So send me it. And I would rather hear your unfiltered, raw, hurtful opinion than something like, oh, well, I don't have time. You know, I'd rather hear it. Like, if you have something, say it to me. I, I, I would very much appreciate it. Anyways, I hope you had a great Friday. It is the 4th of July. If you celebrate that, have a great one. And I'll talk to you later. My name is Neville Medora. Talk to you later. Bye.